Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Polite round of applause. We are live here at Rye House Car Raceway. And as far as anyone knows, we have an audience of thousands But thanks very much to the people who have turned up. We are here with 48 Carters. And for the second time, we're doing a heats and final format, Chris. Much more exciting than just your your average kind of 30-minute endurance type things. Here, you're in and out of the car. You're you're nervous about the next round. You're tracking how well you're doing. And importantly, you get a breather. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the format we do for this one proved to be a massive success at our last uh, event because you get to you get to slice and dice with a lot of different guys. You get to to mix it in with uh, a lot of different uh, talent levels. You know, we've got everyone from people who've not driven a, a go kart before to the professionals up at the uh, at the front of the field. So, or not- the or the semi pros, as some people called them last time. <laughs> yeah, we we should probably just brush past that. But of course, uh, I'm your host, Richard Spanners. Ready? Normally in a shed. Nerve-wracking when I can see all of you guys. Uh, I'm here with journalist and PR man, Chris Stevens. Thanks. Thanks for feigning interest. The very edgy Kyle Power. He's the one with the beard. Super edgy. We've got cart specialist, Alex Van Jean. Any knocking of the tables you hear, that is definitely Alex. Uh, we have got also super race car driver man, Brad Philpop. Who else we got? We've got media guru Sarah Nickel, who's going to be our quiz mistress. And joining us later as well will be 2017 Le Mans podium finisher Alex Brundle in the room. A proper professional racing driver. So coming up later on, we're going to be doing some F1 news. We're also going to have Brad and Alex Brundle talking about, is it, what, what is it, Brad? Is it what Billy's do wrong? That's what we've titled it, yes. What Billy's do wrong. Billy's is a hate word though, so. We'll explain that later. Okay. I might have to beep it every single time 
uh, you say that. And we're also going to have a, a quiz from Quizmaster Sarah. And we are also going to have Room F101, which any, any resemblance to a BBC show is completely coincidental. But we will be consigning things to the F1 history bin later on. So there's some great rivalries here today. Uh, Jeansy and uh, Kyle. Kyle. You've been saying some real smack talk about Jeansy's lack of talent and weight, which I felt was out of order. <laughs> Only behind his back, not Je- to his face. So seriously, Jeansy, you are a Kovkarty type racer. You brought some Kovkart people here. Do you feel, you've got to feel that you're going to beat Kyle, who only goes to one track over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah, he does seem to like Red Lodge a lot. It's, it's, a pl- it's his place to go. But um, no, to be fair, me and Kyle have actually never, on a dry circuit, at the same weight, raced together. So this is actually going to be a really, really good test of where we come and it's a friendly rivalry it's all good so uh, Brad is is weight still an issue in karting or has the physics of that changed somehow since the last <laughs> no it's still a, it's still going to be a big issue and uh, I won't hide from the fact that I've got a nice little advantage by preparing properly for this event <laughs> okay so Kyle um, you, you're a post because you've not been preparing properly at all no I haven't I've got a bit of a dodgy shoulder so that's my excuse excuses done, <laughs> done. Otherwise, I've clearly beat everyone but I can't because I'm hampered I've got a cold <laughs> that doesn't count we've also got a father-son combination we've got Jamcart from Birmingham uh, who's going to win out of Martin and Ryan who's the fastest Martin. oh you reckon okay good so it's always nice to see a bit of rivalry a bit of beef there as well uh, we've got Tony and, and Dan who are going to be leading the heavy category we've called it the heavy category not big or anything like that uh, but if you are over 90 kilograms do feel free to self-select yourself for the heavy category as well also guys who are watching this on the live stream or listening to the podcast we are going to be covering this event in a highlights reel so just bear in mind that if you wipe me out or hit me deliberately Mr. Brundle uh, that, that will feature heavily on the highlights package it's something I encourage everybody to do I, I just, right, you know I don't let things go. So if you want a year of me just posting social media clips from every angle, then do feel free to wipe me out. Something I learned today is don't wind spanners up the morning before a live show. Okay, so here's what happened. Jeansy messaged this morning saying, oh, I'm ill, I've been throwing up all night, I can't make it. This was his hilarious joke. I didn't care if he couldn't make it. All I was thinking is I can offer oh, yeah. a free seat to someone. Tell you what, Chris, why don't we go on to some, some big dirty news? News. See, Chris, we don't just talk about karting. We do talk about some F1 news. What's what's relevant to you in the world of F1? Interesting thing that I saw during uh, the week, actually, was uh, a beginning of an explanation, at least, for Haas's uh, lack of race pace. Um, we've seen them perform really, really well in qualifying, you know, sort of best of the rest. And then these last two races, they've just slipped down the order with, with no race pace. And, uh, in, which is weird because in Australia, they're really, really strong. Um, I think it was, uh, like sixth, seventh place, um, finish for, for Kevin Magnussen. Um, and part of the reason that they haven't been able to match that is, uh, down to their lack of ability to, uh, keep temperature in the tires. And uh, so I'm going to do, uh, play the little Matt oh, Trumpets card a little bit tires, and do man. some tire talk. Yeah, exactly. It's um, it's going to be more interesting, I think, than what uh, Trumpets did because I'll I'll keep it simple. But um, basically, it comes down to them not being able to keep energy in the tire, uh, and uh, that they struggle to do on low energy circuits and in low temperature conditions. So uh, in circuits like Bahrain, for example, where they're not putting a lot of energy through the tire. 
they can't keep the temperature. And um, in Shanghai, you know, even though that is a high energy circuit with a lot of long high speed corners, the temperatures were really low during the race. So they couldn't maintain that advantage. So that's a beginning of an explanation at least. What, why we're they we're really not missing trumpets at all. That was a very long tire explanation. So uh, uh, thank uh, you. Brad, are we, are we, are we still not rating Grosjean though? When have I ever not rated Grosjean? You love I'm, him. I'm quite, I'm quite a Grosjean fan. Oh, really? Yeah, you're, it, you're the one. I, you're, yeah, I like him. I like his, I like his wholesomeness and the fact that he's just a really nice guy and he's got a cookery book series with his wife. I just think it's really sweet. Yeah, but that doesn't make him fast or good or staying on the track. I didn't say anything like that. <laughs> so, Chris, is there any hope for Haas? They should be able to. I mean, it's it's not an easy thing to fix because it's to do with the whole package. You know, it's not just something you can tweak a bit of the aero and then uh, it's it's absolutely all fine and dandy. You know, you'll see them perform well at uh, Barcelona, maybe where the temperature should be higher and it's a high energy circuit. But uh, you know, for Monaco, for example, they probably won't find a fix by then, so they'll really really struggle around there. Kyle, yeah, the Haas thing. Uh, this is this has plagued them since they. Well, since they joined Formula One. So is this not keeping energy in the tyres thing, something inherent with the way they designed their car? Because I thought it was basically a Ferrari painted black. I mean, they tend to take the front end of the Ferrari a lot of the time. And to be honest, that then determines the vast majority of the car design afterwards because everything is so uh, determined by, you know, the front aerodynamics and usually the front suspension as well, which is what they did last year. So you'd assume they've done a lot the same this year. That's why I think it's quite weird that we don't see this uh, sort of wild fluctuation in pace from Ferrari themselves. Is that ironic? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so guys, you've wasted a lot of my effort here because I went way out of my way to make sure to pick a date that Matt Trumpets couldn't turn up here so that he couldn't just have a tyre-dominated chat about Haas. And you put the first news item as Haas and it's all about tyres. Let's do something a little bit more emotive. Fortunately, because we have Joe Sayward on our podcast every now and then, he has alienated our entire Polish audience and we no longer have anyone from Poland listening. So we can talk about Robert Kubica. Obviously, uh, he said he was at a loss to explain his lack of pace, Chris. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very rare to hear a racing driver kind of admit, I don't have an explanation for this because I think a lot of the times they'll even feign one. But uh, I don't think many people expected Robert to be all that quick this year. Um, I, I think it's, uh, it was a, a dreamland scenario that he was going to be able to come in after eight years out of the sport because of a horrific injury. Well, hang on, and, we've, we've got people here. Uh, just have a show of hands. Who actually thought that Robert Kubica would come in and be on pace? Who's going to admit to that now? Come on. No hands. No one's thinking that now, but no one thought that beforehand. I think the big clue, though was when he had that test at Renault and they didn't pick him up. And at the time they had Sainz and Hulkenberg. And you would have thought, well, if he was up to pace, you would have picked someone with that reputation over those two. Yeah, and I mean, we've got to remember that he was quicker than uh, supposedly Sergei Sorokin and Lance Stroll during a lot of testing uh, last year, even though the one specific test that defined who got that seat that year, it was Sergei who was advantageous in that um but uh, and and also the reason he got that seat as well because he was able to double the amount of money smp was bringing to the table compared to robert but at the same time robert just hasn't been able to come in and and, and perform uh, as well and i i for one i'm, I'm not all that surprised by it. i think it's a massive shame because a it's a great story and as you know, a journalist i'd love great stories you still a journalist but, uh, yeah it can be yeah oh, sometimes okay. um but I, I just get the feeling Williams chased a headline story. 
uh, to to get a bit of attention and rather than actually focusing on where the car needs to develop which is something they've done for a while they haven't picked the right drivers for a while now so i was wondering if it's actually something to do with the role a driver plays in terms of leadership within a team so it's someone who's known as a fighter known as someone who's very resilient has come back from a long way and yes there's the money element and yes you need the development driver the technical expertise as well that he's supposedly able to give but how important is the ability of the how important is the ability of the driver to give that leadership and that resilience to the rest of the team? Is that do you think that would have been a factor in them picking him? Other than just the headline. But also would it be able to give the technical expertise on the development of the car if he's a second a lap off the mm. guy who's actually the fastest driver? If you're trying to test something to its limits and find its weaknesses and you're a second slower than the other bloke in the other car, you're not testing it to its limits. And it's not just any other bloke in that car. Is it? I mean, yes, George Russell is the F2 champion, but he is a Formula One rookie. He's had some good F1 tests, but at the root of it, he is a rookie. And for somebody of Robert's prior caliber, that either says that rookies have come a really long way in a short amount of time, or the more likely scenario, which is just Robert's just not up to the job anymore, which is so sad. So not following the junior series as closely as I should, uh, and I'm particularly looking at Alex and and Brad here, uh, would you expect George Russell to come in and be right on the pace? Or is the Kubica situation actually worse than it looks? Because he's only going to get better. I would say he should be pretty near the pace. He's GP3 champion and GP2 champion and has done a hell of a lot of Formula 1 testing. So mm. I would say he's a, a top draw guy that's that's probably pretty much getting that car to, to where it's capable of being. He's matched Leclerc in terms of his junior uh, championship. Within three years, he went from being GP3 champion, F2 champion, Formula 1 uh, race driver so you know we know how highly we rate Leclerc we should give George the same level of respect fantastic thank you very much Chris for that big dirty news big dirty news I should have just done it live shouldn't I we're missing Mrs Spanners on the piano aren't we it's a long later tell you what uh, Sarah if you wouldn't mind yielding your seat to a real life race driver to join our I always like to describe you Brad as our driver pro like our golf pro. Uh, but you two are going to tell us a little bit about um, Billy's. Now, when you say Billy... It's <laughs> a cheerful old Billy. When you say Billy, you essentially mean everybody who isn't a professional driver. So everyone in this room except you and Alex is a Billy. Yeah, I'll try and... Um... I'll try and explain the origin of this very briefly. Billy just comes from the the Cockney rhyming slang, Billy Bunter, which means punter. So basically customer. It's it's what people that work at race schools call the drivers who they're being paid to coach. Um, you call them Billy's, the shorthand. And it has developed into a hate word. Um, yeah, it's, what my little, it's what my little millennial cousin would call a microaggression, I think. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> towards people coming up, uh, turning up to race schools and being coached by pros. So do I, do I have to beep all of that then? Because that is all... I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, Billy Piper would have a very difficult life if he did. Are you, two, um, are you two okay sat next to each other? I've seen pictures of you now, you two on the carousel together as deadly rivals. So yeah, is this it... is the carousel at the Nürburgring. We don't go to fairs. Yeah. All right. Yeah. No. We, no we're no. in different classes. I just assumed yeah. everyone knew as much as I now know from listening to you sometimes. So uh, this this list could have been absolutely huge. So I was trying to compile some bullet points as uh, I've got on my phone here. Alex can see now um, of what Billy's do wrong. And this is it's a bit unfairly because of course Billy's <laughs> do stuff wrong because they're not professionals. They're things. So yeah. This this is not meant to come across as 
people who haven't been trained how to drive on a track should obviously know what to do. This is just funny stuff that people generally do. I think you can kind of cut it into two sections and I've spotted your bullet points there, Brad, which is often, you know, what guys do when they're sitting next, when you're sitting next to them trying to coach them. But there's, I think there's a whole nother section to this, which is what the little bit of the further development of, you know, uh, an amateur driver would do when you're on track with them and they're in the car on their own. You know, because I do a lot of pro-am racing, a lot. So how does, how does a day like this, cause I'm, I'm like full of admiration for you for turning up and kind of risking yourself against, like there's some real bad drivers there. <laughs> Richard, just cause I'm looking directly at you, I don't want you to feel like this is, it is directed at you. Uh, but as a, a professional driver trading paint with some of the best drivers in the world, you turn up like a day like this, do you just sort of brace and breathe in as you go past us? Yeah. Well, for the first thing that, you know, before breathing in, you need to breathe out and say thank you for coming to all of, to everybody who, you know, is. Oh a, no, I just insult them. Is, no. <laughs> no, is a, no, but anybody who's a customer driver in, I think we both agree, we both agree on this. Anybody who's a customer driver in any scenario, because as a professional driver, you recognize that you are relatively pointless to the exercise of all pro-am racing and it's all about the amps isn't it they you're uh, you're they are making the sport happen they're providing the funds for it to exactly to happen. For, to happen at the same time if you go to the outside of the racetrack and hang out on the uh, hang out at the turning in point at about 10 miles an hour and then beeline for the apex we are having a word <laughs> so should we start with the fundamentals the, we're not going to really dwell on each of these because each of these points could take 10 minutes in themselves but I'm just going to give you a little quick rundown of, of what I think the, the basic fundamental things that people do wrong um, when they're new to driving on a track so this could be karting today or this could be on a race car so the number one and everyone who knows me will know this is holding the wheel incorrectly there so- is yeah, the first time you stood over my shoulder in a, in a simulator, the first thing you did was laugh at my billy thumbs, is what you said. I think that's one of the first times we'd met as well. Oh, did you, you do an outside the wheel? Yeah, outside, yeah, because you drive a lot. <laughs> your steering wheel on your domestic car has those little thumb things. So that's what that's for. You might have got this one wrong. So uh, this is, in short, um, there's one way to hold the steering wheel in a race car, <laughs> which is in the correct position with your hands opposite each other, thumbs inside the spokes, essentially so you know which way the wheels are pointing. So I'll try and keep it at that, but no well, argument. Would you agree with that, Alex? I do. Yeah, I'm I'm slightly more tolerant than, than you, but I know. <laughs> yeah, but I th- I think that that's yeah that's relative. I mean, when you look at any sports steering wheel, yeah. there is an obvious indentation where your hands go. And I have this endless conversation actually with my mum every time I sit next to my mum in a car who you know does the whole mobile hands all around the steering wheel that they're made that's where your hands yeah. go it's like it's like randomly putting your feet you know in the other side of the in the passenger footwell <laughs> well <laughs> to we, us, we, we it have seems a, so strange we have a bit of an issue here because carl power edgy carl power here outdoor cart specialist does hold his his wheel in a weird way brad well he's just he's wrong he just make it's like <laughs> it's like if you go to a tennis court and someone's hitting the tennis balls, holding the racket on the face of the racket. They can still hit the balls. That's absolutely fine. If they want to do that, that's fine. But they're never going to be as good as someone holding the racket on the handle. But there is, there is a caveat, though, which I think is oval racing stuff. There are quite a lot of the oval oh, racing okay. guys where you have the cars set up with Stagger, who will hold the steering wheel so that they can tro- control the car best in turn. But if you're on a road course, man. Do you want to defend to yourself, Kyle? Yeah, I 
I'd say it's more skillful to hold it wrong and still be quick. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that should be kudos. So, so I'm going to try and move on from this because we could we could no, continue it, it talking could about hours, it. Yeah. So, so also on steering wheel holding, um, feeding the wheel. Obviously, this is under the same yeah, heading, same so thing. we can probably gloss over that. If you're holding the wheel in the right place, you're obviously not feeding it. So anyone who's shuffling the wheel on a track, you need to go back to the pits, please. Um, so, so you mean like like so I'm at ten to two and then I'd like do that like you do on your driving test round a roundabout. That's, yes, that's unless, not good. Unless you're at the the Lowe's hairpin at Monaco and you're at full steering lock in a Formula One car, there's no need for you to remove any hand from the wheel yeah. unless you're changing gear, obviously. But yeah, and you would be amazed how many people on a, a guidance track day will go down in a extremely fast race specific car to a hairpin, get down there, break on the limit, and then do this. Micro shuffles, like, exactly. Micro shuffles, like they're just sort of, you know, kneading dough or something. It's weird. So it's, just yeah. basically making life harder for themselves. Yeah. So, so that that steering wheel position. There's one final thing I've got as a heading on this, which is which is one of my favourites because this actually now causes spectacular offs, which is a very common thing. Sustaining steering lock despite the corner ending. So for yeah. over a decade of sitting next to people in race cars, observing them, um, I noticed a lot that if you'd managed to nail the hand position, so they're holding the steering wheel correctly, you've got over that part, they haven't fed the wheel, you'd enter a corner, the corner would be ending, and I would be demonstrating to them to try and explain afterwards with my hands, look, we're, the track is straightening up in front of you, yet the steering wheel will remain turned. Um, and then they'll wonder why when they apply the throttle, they spin off to the inside. So. Yeah, you endlessly end up kind of almost prizing the wheel yeah. straight again across the cockpit like that sometimes when you're when you're coaching across the and car fight you I think people in general are quite sort of obviously they they associate the edges of the track with danger right so they tend to sort of creep in on the brakes because I don't want to be near the edge and then because you don't you don't drift off towards the very edge of the road when you're driving on the road. And equally on the exit, they don't want to let the car run out, which is actually the safest, straightest way when you're putting power on. They don't want to let the car run out to the edge of the road because the edge of the road is dangerous. They've seen Formula One drivers catch the edge of the road so many times and spin off, you know. Well, in reality, what's dangerous is, my next point, applying throttle with too much steering lock. Okay, so at these events, we see people spinning off on the exits quite a lot. And it's quite surprising because you think the danger point is spinning under braking. So this kind of explains it. If people are trying to get away from from the edge on the exit and then getting on the power, that's why they're spinning. Well, there's a majority of people in, in the world now that have never driven a car without traction control ever in their lives. So they don't have a feel for the fact that you know, the car will automatically be retarding, you know, ignition or fuel or whatever it does to to protect them from spinning it. They assume all cars do that at all times. So the fact that I've turned the steering wheel and the rear tires have lit up is just such an alien concept to most people. Now, now, both of you drivers there have done instructor laps. So you've had just people coming in, like generally off the street, and then you've had to trust your, your life to them. Kyle was telling me that you have a an anti-brake. So like yes. in your driving lessons, you have somebody apply the brake for you if they're panicking, whereas you guys would see someone braking too early and take the brake off. And it's not just too early. Yeah. So the, the brake off pedal is absolutely crucial in a lot of race cars when you're, when you're instructing on the limit because people will be tempted to brake in the middle of a corner where you don't want to brake. You'll, you'll unsettle the car. You'll probably spin and you could have a, another very fast car right behind you. So all through my, my instructor life, I would normally have my left foot welded to the footwell pressing down on the off brake 
to prevent the brakes from being applied when they're not needed. And quite often you get someone saying, the brakes aren't working. And I would say to them, how do you know? You shouldn't be touching them at the moment, should you? Um, Quite often also you'll have a situation where somebody's done the opposite to what they normally do, I would say, which which we'll come on to in a minute, and actually lock the brakes up super hard because they want to stop. And at that point, it's your job to make sure they come all the way off the brake and then break again for them to make sure the car stops, which is a tricky... That's a, that's a quick thinker. That really is. That's also important because you might be in that car all day. And if you've got a flat-spotted set of front oh, tyres because someone's brake too hard, <laughs> you're, you're, the rest of your yeah. day will be ruined. So, yeah, you don't want them locking up for prolonged periods. Okay. That, so, so you've helped us because we're not going to do anything wrong. Once you've, once you've told us it now, we're going to remember it forever. So I don't want to see anybody spinning on the exit because they failed to stop steering. Is that, was that yeah, your yeah. one? Uh, no, no shuffling of that. People will still do it. Yeah. And if you were to look outside during a normal rental car session here, I guarantee you 50% of people are feeding the wheel. In it. In a car, that one is is absolutely huge. So if you've got time for us yeah, to move on course, to a couple yeah, more, no. Alex has just highlighted the depressing the clutch whilst braking bullet point, which is very, very common. Quite often you, you'd be coming into a braking zone and you just hear the engine revs drop. No! And you'd know, obviously, the driver had just put yeah. both pedals down. At the same Even time. bigger one. So the, the the depressing of the clutch is not, apart from it not being particularly good for the clutch, is, is not a... Uh, a big problem. The big one is releasing it mid corner. So <laughs> to the clicking it down a few gears yeah. and then releasing and then the re- and then releasing. So we've braked into a medium to slowish speed hairpin, knocked it down a couple of gears with the clutch depressed and no engine revs in. The engine revs have dropped to zero, and then just at the apex, bang! Off comes the clutch because we've realised we're on it, and round we go. Like we're going a top. thirty miles an hour too quick for the gear you've just put it in. So I've, I've only ever driven a, a car around a track once, and that was because very kindly. Paddy let me have a go in his uh was it Porsche Cayman yeah Yeah, beautiful car far too beautiful to let me trash around a track don't make that mistake again but if you are going to email me spannersready at gmail.com the best way to start that email is would you like to drive my my Porsche um (laughs) but I could see the nervous look in Paddy's eyes every time we got to a corner because you're not used to the gear you going you go into being that important and if you get it wrong it really does make a horrible expensive sound and also a feel feel for speed a a feel for the right speed in what gear on a racetrack takes quite a long time because i think people again on the road have a basic feel for how fast they're going based around the furniture around them you know the post box going by the cars going the other way etc etc so when you're on a racetrack there's none of that you know, you've just got curbs and race. People don't really have an idea for how fast they're going. And it takes quite a long time to to sense how quick you're going for the gear you're in. We could have a whole yeah. five, ten minutes just yeah. on gear selection. But I have, I've not put that we, into it. We do. We do frequently. We just sit there and talk about it. <laughs> I bet. I bet. <laughs> but you're saying there's no, there's no sense of it going by. Certainly on a big airfield. It was at um, Palmer Sport in, in Thurley. Uh, while you're on the straight actually you don't feel that speed it's when the, the corner suddenly appears and I think that's your next topic isn't it breaking yeah so uh, this is we couldn't really do this topic this sorry this um, whole subject without this particular point which is probably the key uh, probably the biggest mistake people make on track as a as a new driver as a billy um, breaking too gently so we mentioned earlier about how people can lock up by breaking too hard but by far the more common thing you tend to notice is the brakes just not being used anywhere near their potential and the faster the car, the more the more impressive, the more racy the car becomes into prototypes and single seaters, the worse this problem becomes and the further from the potential people are. Absolutely. Well, the, you start to get to the point where actually 
the car just doesn't function if you don't brake hard enough because all of these things are supposed to work at their operating temperature. And if you don't get, for example, you know, for example, when we have an amateur driver come along and drive uh, an LMP car with a set of carbon brakes on it, if you're putting, you know, 20, 30 bar through the brake pedal in, in the big, in the big stops, you will just never, you know, you get guys coming in and saying the brakes don't work. Well, they don't work. Not at, you know, whatever degrees you have to get the carbon brakes hot for them to work. There is an obvious um, question here. Um, which is why do they make the brakes so hard to use? Why why make it a system that you have to press so hard? And we have kind of covered this in a masterclass on Mist Apex, but people are better at judging how hard they're pressing something rather than how far they're pressing something. So it all being about how much pressure you're putting into the system makes people who know what they're doing better, more and accurate. Al- and also it makes the whole system more resilient as well. If you think about an endurance race like Le Mans, you're going to go into Mulzan Corner 300 times or something like that, all the braking zones. These things have to be strong huh? when you're putting 100 bar through it over and over and over and over again. So just from a, a, a Billy point of view, I guess, um, the closest kind of experience I've had to, to that, you know, really not using the, the brake was when I went, um, and used a Formula One simulator. It's probably about as high a spec as you can get from a commercial point of view, I guess, you know, without actually going up to an F1 team and saying, can mm-hmm. I use your simulator? Like it had the full screens, it, it rotated and it even had like pressure sensors in the seatbelts to sort of replicate, um, G-force. I don't think I was even using 50% of the brake force in that. It yeah. is, a ridiculous amount of pressure you have to put on there. Well, look, it's so important to the teams to understand this process that actually most of the critical F1 simulators will run a full disc and caliper setup from the car underneath the car because the feel of the brake pedal is so important to the driver that they actually have to run it as it is on the car because there's no way to simulate it otherwise. Um, so, yeah, critical process. Just bring this into karting because this is what the, the people in front of us will be doing. I only recently at the last event started actually braking hard to the point where you're nearly locking it and that means you're using all of the brake. I guarantee most people here will be braking like they do to a roundabout before they get to the shops where you gradually ease it on. And it's, it's a hard mental sort of barrier to get over that you've got to stamp on it and get it get it all the way through. And a car is slightly different because your brakes are only operating on the rear axle. So we, we've actually skirted around this in the past and not really delved into cart braking. And actually, you don't need to brake anywhere near as hard in a go-kart as you do in, in most race cars. But um, but yeah, you're right. If, you, if you're braking at the maximum capability of those brakes and the maximum adhesion of the tyres, then you're going to be able to brake for a shorter period of time and therefore do it later. So yeah, it, it's important. It's uh, it's as, a, as an instructor or a coach, it's a really, really big topic. I have to say thank you to you guys for, for tolerating us. I get the feeling that you just look at us like we're ants. On the, we, on the track. Yeah. <laughs> Ants can be fascinating, though, can't they? <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll leave it there. Yeah, thank you for being benevolent racing gods. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay, we are going to play... Room F101, which has no resemblance to any other show, but we are going to take an F1 item and decide whether we can consign it to history. Uh, as our guest, Alex, uh, would you mind nominating something for Room F101? Right, so, so my understanding is I'm allowed two in eventual terms, yeah? Say again? I, my understanding is I'm allowed two items in eventual Greedy. terms. Greedy? Right, oh, let's okay, start right. with one. Well, let's start with one. Okay, I am going to nominate multiple tyre compounds. Okay, I I will repost. The, the, I, I, I will well, am I allowed them. to make? Am I allowed to make a sort of opening statement as to why? And then you can sort of before that, let's get a show of hands. Then, so you you want to just get rid of multiple compounds? Yeah, and just only do a tire. Okay, so who would want to get rid of the current multiple compounds from F one? Hands up. Oh, look, there's a few. Depends. There was nervous. There's only two. Right. So my my goal then has got to be to, to achieve more. Them. Hands. Yes. Okay. So like a like a tire missionary. Okay. Tell me why you want F1 to be significantly worse by just having one boring <laughs> compound. Okay. So my view on multiple tire compounds is it, it is an entirely commercial decision by the tire manufacturer to generate maximum media traffic about the tyre manufacturer. It's the tyre manufacturer essentially stealing the show. They can generate one tyre compound which works everywhere. How do I know this? Because all of the other series do it. You know, IndyCar, in terms of the variety of... Yeah, I know they have a yeah a prime, a soft and a hard, but yeah. the soft and the hard are the same the, the whole time. Um, you know, endurance racing, Blanc Pan, they race, Blanc Pan, man, in, on a GT3 car, they race at night in the day around Barcelona and Spa and Monza on the same tyre compound. You're quite passionate about massively, this. Massively, I'm passionate about racing, mate, you know, <laughs> they have massively more weight. They can make one tyre which does everything and, and we don't need to have this stupid discussion about, oh, this one's soft and this one's ultra uber soft and this one's super duper soft. Can I, can I draw down a tiny bit? So you're saying that it is possible to do that. Yes. Uh, say to uh, Brad, obviously you, you work with tyres quite a lot. Is it possible for Pirelli to do it? Oh, okay. Well, Pirelli made the Blanc, Pirelli made the Blanc Pan tyre, so yeah. Yes, but the Blanc Pan tyre, is it anywhere near as, as good as a Formula One tyre would be in terms of the amount of grip? I have a suspicion that Pirelli actually aren't capable of making a tyre to the same standards as someone like Michelin who yeah. in the heyday in Formula One could make this extremely brilliant tyre that works all different conditions. What I'm saying to you is that the tyre doesn't need to be absolutely 
on the edge as it is because everybody's got the same tire. Just back it off a bit and give everybody the same tire to work with because I don't want to see Haas randomly turn up to the Chinese and, and McLaren randomly turn up to the Chinese Grand Prix and have to talk about the energy abrasion. But yeah, they, they, sure, they're going to have to do all of those engineering things. I don't want to see them just randomly nowhere just because they can't get on with a compound. Chris. So you want to see the same results all, all, all week, every week? I want to see good racing all week, every week <laughs> with the cars in the ballpark because they're able to do their testing and understand properly the tire which they're given. The thing, just yeah, I know it is possible to have a, a compound that does that does everything, but does that mean you should do it? Because I love the strategy element that different compounds provides. Sure, I mean the the problem that you have is that the soft tire is not always faster than the hard tire. So if if everything behaved is every if everything behaved how it was, and then you could put the soft tires on and go charging through, then that would be great. But it doesn't. So. Always in a Grand Prix, the biggest tyre delta is new to old. Soft or hard, doesn't matter. New to old tyres is the tyre delta. We can achieve that with one tyre compound. I do agree. They, and Pirelli, save money. Pirelli should uh, make the softer tyres softer, for sure. And I was about to agree with your statement there, but then I remembered that 2012 in Formula 1 was so massively defined by teams and drivers just not knowing what the tyres were going to do on any given day and it was the greatest season of Formula 1 of all time Mm. so if you look at it as a total picture for example you have a load of teams spending a massive amount of money making their car yeah, and undoing testing and understanding their car. I mean, when you go out for a Formula One test, it's like, yeah, a bit of aero, a bit of this, a bit of that, get the driver up to speed. Right, now, tyres, 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 tyres for three days. All right, look, if we don't have those compounds, though, you know, we don't get Bahrain 2014. We don't get those great strategies kind of... Bahrain will still wear the tyre out. Whatever kind of whatever compound tire you've got, I promise so, you that. So you've made a, a great and passionate case. Yeah. Obviously a racing purist. So very much so, yeah. Are we gonna vote with Alex Brundle's boring new version of Formula One? <laughs> we all line up, start to finish. Or do we want the excitement and randomness that us muggles can understand and relate to? So anybody converted by Alex's arguments, who wants to get rid of it? Oh, yeah, so I won a few. You've won a few, but I'm sorry. Won a few people. You've also lost one. Uh (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, Alex. Multiple tyre compounds don't go into room F101. Rubbish. Okay, we have got Sarah Nichol up next. You are going to nominate something, Sarah, to go into room F101. So I think I'm going to nominate Ferrari's heritage payments. I thought you were going to just say so, Ferrari. Just Ferrari, yeah. <laughs> Do you know no, how much fine. of abuse I've had from Ferrari fans lately? Is it more than usual? It's, it's more than usual, more yeah. Than usual. I have been particularly critical because they've not been doing very well. Dry your eyes, Ferrari fans. But anyway, sorry, you're not just <laughs> yeah, well, slamming Ferrari. No, no. But there's all this talk about budget caps, uh, the things around uh, reducing costs, or we could just, you know, stop giving this free money to this one top team that's been in the sport forever when they've already got quite a lot of cash rolling around. Well, hang on a minute, Carl. We know we know the argument, don't we? F1 is Ferrari. Ferrari is F1. Am I supposed to agree? I don't because know. Because I completely don't. <laughs> yeah, but, but you do get people that say, you know, even if you don't admit to being a Ferrari fan, you love Ferrari. Oh, yeah, you get the fans and they go mad in Facebook comment sections when Ferrari don't win. I take great passion in uh, uh, winding them up. Well, we're completely neutral. Do we have any Ferrari fans on the panel? No, I don't think we do. Any in the audience? 
What? Ferris. One. Is that half? Half a person is admitting to being a Ferrari fan. Okay, so half a Ferrari fan we've got in the audience here. Um, so this isn't going to be a very difficult one. No. Who, who votes that Ferrari should keep getting more money for no reason to help them do well? Just Alex Bundle there on the end. Okay, so I think that's a, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good shoe. And I think we're going to consign that. I don't have like a good noise or a bad noise. It's just the same noise. Well done, Sarah. Kyle, do you want to try and consign something to room F101? Yeah, well, the previous two were quite sensible. So I thought I'd do a slightly less sensible one and maybe controversial. It's, um, it's the way Lewis Hamilton pronounces the word work. Um, once you hear it, you can't unhear it. Uh, I have never, uh, I've, I've never felt compelled to stand, get up off the sofa and shout, but you're from Stevenage at the TV before. He says work. work. And he is from Stevenage. I know he hangs around in America quite a lot, but you have to make quite a conscious effort with your throat to make that word if you don't say it naturally, to make that word sound that way. So I can't unhear it. Kyle, the majority of Formula One drivers pronounce the majority of English words incorrectly <laughs> because they are all from other countries. For sure. For sure. I don't, if, I don't care how... I, just, I would never hear them speak. If it was for me, uh, if, if Formula One was designed by me, I would never hear them speak. We'd just cut straight to the lights <laughs> and, then, and then you'd do the race and then the television would just go blank after the checkered flag. So uh, what, <laughs> these, what these drivers do in international series, and you've managed to avoid it quite well, is that they end up speaking as if English was their second language. And they, they develop that accent yeah. that people speak. You in. know why? Because you end up, and it's really, really, really bad, and we, I do it a lot, and I get ripped for it horribly, is you get a French, Italian, or German interviewer, and they'll be talking to you in their extreme accent. And you'll be talking to them back, because I naturally copy people when I talk back to them. It's just something I get in a lot of trouble for. Um, Sounds and, like you're mocking them. And, and the, yeah, well, exactly. And then what you, and then what happens then, which is even worse, is they then cut out the questions. So it sounds like you're just talking pointlessly in pigeon English <laughs> into those, like, yes, I have had a good race. Like, <laughs> into the, and you, yeah, you feel like a right Wally. Chris? <laughs> I've, I've, will admit to doing that as well because obviously in some uh, languages the the sentence structure is a little bit different mm. and I have noticed that having done a lot of formal e travels over the last couple of years I've picked up some weird foreign sentence structures that just kind of stick around for a little bit for me it's okay <laughs> it's okay it's not bad <laughs> so Kyle are you are you just picking on Lewis Hamilton or just or all race drivers because that's going to be vital to the to the mm. vote I think it depends what's going to be more popular what should be more popular <laughs> Okay, so I all think- racing drivers, but specifically Lewis, because because he he likes to squeeze the word work and how hard we've been working oh, the, all the, of the time. The live chat is weighing in as well, Chris. <laughs> uh, Doctor Vidya Jim, I think that's how you pronounce that, um, says that he loves how Max pronounces third, which I believe he misses out the H on that one. Can we also uh, add in Paul the Rester's pronunciation of Mercedes? Oh, Mercedes. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I like him, but I have to. <laughs> okay. So, where in general then do we land on saying things correctly? So, I, I have a colleague who insists on saying Bahrain every time he talks, and you know, you don't need to say that. We we understand. He's just showing off. I think that he's been there. Uh, so it's the Leclerc, Leclerc. I don't hear people saying Fettel. So we've got to pick. We either say it in our anglicised way 
or we go bending over backwards to say everything how they say it. I think we do what you normally suggest, which is say it in every possible way. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Like Ricardo. I say Ricardo, Ricciardo, Ricciardo. So you've and always got data to draw on. Exactly. Well, yeah. I can't be wrong <laughs> every clever. single time, yeah. is my thinking. Okay, let's just have a show of hands then. Who wants to consign Lewis Hamilton's pronunciation of words? Sorry, pronunciation. To the bin. It's more than half. Uh, I need a, a button. I don't know. Oh, uh, no, that was gold. Oh, hang on. Oh, no, ah. you missed the apex. There we go. That sort of works, doesn't it? I just got the apex. No, no, but that was a resounding the, the, win. The item that you were putting in. Oh, yeah, yeah. Missed the apex. I think that's how we'll justify it. Okay, well, let's see who's going to miss the apex uh, when it comes to F1 knowledge. Now, we don't have Chris Catman Turner here, so the quiz won't be quite as terrible as normal. Our new terrible quiz master. Are you sure about that? Because he kind of helped with the questions. Oh, dear. It's going to be another. He knows knows a lot more than me. It's going to be another random quiz. So, Catman, uh, in, in the guise of Sarah is going to be our quiz master now then me and Chris are taking on a handicap of having each other as teammates yep that's very unfortunate yeah so me and Chris are a team we're going to have for now Kyle and Jeansy are going to be on the same team although when that gets to the cart track you just you just see that rivalry flare up and then we're going to have our professional drivers over there at the end who should easily win. Kyle, I, um, I hope you're ready to completely carry your team because I was Van Jean's teammate in the last <laughs> quiz. And he answered, we won the quiz, but he didn't answer a single question. So, um, I didn't. I'm hoping it's going to be good. Uh, who's first up? Did you guys decide on any team names? Oh, we, no. we decided to call ourselves the Missed Apex production team minus Matt Trumpets. Okay, in that case, you, you, you guys are first up then. Okay. Team A. Okay, Team A. So, first first round, true or false, two questions per team, one point for each answer. Um, so, Spanners? Yep, I'm ready. 2010 saw the introduction of the 25-point system, uh, 25 points for a win system. You, oh, right, okay. I thought you were going to continue. It's just true or false. What yeah. are we saying? Chris says true. It's on him. Yeah. Yes. We make a score point. <laughs> 2013 was the first year that none of the drivers had competed in the 20th century. 2013 sure. was the first year that none of the drivers... Oh, so when? So basically we're looking at Kimi Raikkonen and Jensen Button. No, because uh, no, Kimi, Kimi Raikkonen started in like, uh, one. Okay. Uh, there, was no, there was no Michael. There was no Rubens. I'm going to say true. True. Yes. yes. So that's two, two out of two. So we're winning. No. Good. Okay. Well, by default, but... <laughs> Brad and Alex, yeah. Team B. Did you got? Did you got? Are you going to stick with the team name you gave me the other night? Semi pro. Yeah, it was triggered. Semi pros, I think, was the one there. So Sebastian Vettel scored the most fastest laps in 2011. Red Bull, it's still Red Bull, wasn't it? Yes. No, it was no. Mark Webber. We had 50 percent chance of getting that yeah, right. Exactly. Still got it wrong. We're beating the big boys. I know, right? Yeah. The 2010 McLaren partnership of Hamilton and Button was the first double world champion lineup since Senna Prost in 1989. Just to luck. Oh, is it still It's still you. Yeah, oh, right. two questions each. The first double world champions. Oh, I was just going through. So um, Hill and Villeneuve were together, but before Villeneuve was world champion. Um, and then after that, can you think of any where there were two world champions? Mm, same uh, hang on, sorry. What? They're lost, there Chris. No... They're floundering. The 2010 yeah, McLaren Ra- partnership. Yeah, I'm going to say true. Well done. One point. Team C, who Kyle and Alex, did you have you come up with a name since then? Yeah, the power gene. <laughs> oh. Sounds like fanfic. Formula- one of Kyle's best best traits is coming up with good names for things. Okay. 
Formula One, well, Formula Juan One. There, I'm, I'm going with Spanish as well. Pronounce it one. Formula One uh, was a team floated by ex Formula One driver driver Juan Pablo Montoya as a comeback attempt in 2011. False. It's quite easy. Yeah. Jacques Villeneuve created an F1 team was and was an applicant for the vacant team slot in 2011. True. Yes. So, uh, so what are the what are the score points so far? So, Mr. Apex production team less Matt trumpet two points. The semi pros one point, and I the power jeans (laughs) (laughs) two points. We are losing. So round two, round two is guess the driver. Uh, You have to guess the driver from the facts given about them. Three points for the correct driver. Yeah. Two drivers each team, and all of the drivers were active at some point between 2010 and 2013. Let's do it. How many oh, rounds okay. are there in total? Three. Three, okay. Let's get rolling. So, Team A, who was the first driver of his nationality to finish on the podium at his home race in 22 years? Perez. What? what? No. No, no, it's not Perez. Really. I've already said it, haven't I? Sorry. Notoriously no, 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 Mexican, the Wall of Champions. No. That doesn't count. He didn't. He said it. He said it. He said it. stuff out. That was not a nominated answer because I looked at him and went, "No, you idiot." (laughs) Well, for the record, you can say the right answer. Kamui Kobayashi. No. Point though, if Spanner said it first. Sorry, didn't count. First answers. Are you kidding? Yeah. What? (laughs) If Catman were here, I'm gonna I'm gonna message him now. I mean, I feel pretty bad, but I'm always terrible at these. So okay. Let's let's get rolling. Uh, who? So this is still you, still you guys. Oh. Uh, who never finished on the podium at his home race? Crashed under the safety car in his debut season. Monaco, two thousand and three, after a heavy crash in practice. Oh, was ages ago. Take a guess. Uh, Anyone want to mouth me Mark, the answer? Mark Webber. No. Jensen Button. <sighs> Jensen Button. All he, right. He crashed behind a safety car. <laughs> Oh my god! Mind you, it is a Catman question, so it could just be wrong. So. <laughs> I didn't check these. I'm just—I was just going with the script. Right, right, Brad and Alex. Who was disqualified from his first race in Formula One? Scored a podium place in only his second season, and has a highest championship finishing position of seventh. Dis- disqualified from what? First race. first race, and then did what? Scored a podium place in his second season. Is it Lance Stroll? Active between 2010 and 2013. Oh, I never heard that. <laughs> when was that said? <laughs> Gilles Villeneuve. Top of the questions being asked. 2010 and 2013. Who was so it? It was Sergio Perez. Oh, right. So, oh, okay. oh poor uh, Perez. Oh, what did he get disqualified for? I don't really care that much about the other drivers. It's kind of my problem. Okay. <laughs> Who? So, still you guys. Who was the teammate to four different world champions? Lost out on his own championship by one point. And right, is the most Felipe successful Massa. driver yeah. at the Turkish... Turkish Must be Massa, Felipe Massa. Yeah. Yeah. Who, uh, so, mm-hmm. who made his debut for the Minardi team in 2002? This is for Power Gene. Yeah. Yeah. Vomited in his helmet yeah. during yeah, the I Japanese... Yeah, I know this one. This I is know. easy. Go on then. Mark, <laughs> Mark Webber. Yeah. <laughs> who won the 2004 Race of Champions, won the 2008 Hungarian Grand Prix... And raced with an Angry Birds-themed helmet in the 20s. I know this one too. Hecky Kovalainen. Yeah. No one cares if you know, Brad. It's not your question. <laughs> yeah, but I'm just trying to demonstrate. That if we had slightly different questions, we'd be winning by miles. That's not how quizzes work. Okay. Round three. He's, knowledge he's lost round. The front wing. He's still trying to do the. I have to say, that. Brad. I've been having to. I've been having to crank up your mic this whole show. As soon as he gets competitive, I've had to <laughs> do it down to a half fader. 
Uh, so we're on the last round, are we? Yeah, last round. Go on then. Uh, specific knowledge questions to truly test the panel. Oh, my script, guys. Um, are all from 2010 to 2013 again. Two questions for each team. Five points for each question. How, how, are, how are you guys doing with the quiz? Are you doing better than us lot? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Paddy says pulling his face up from his phone. Okay, Chris and Spanners. Who replaced Perez for the 2011 Canadian Grand Prix after a huge crash at the previous round in Monaco? Pedro de la Rosa. Yep. I I also knew that it was Pedro de la Rosa. Schumacher scored only one podium finish on his return. Where was it? Who who did, sorry? Schumacher. Valencia. Year? 2012. Do we get a bonus point for the year? No, I was just being finicky. Brad and Alex. Pastor Maldonado started the 2012 Spanish Grand Prix in first place, who actually set the fastest qualifying time. Yes. How do you remember things? It's quite a famous famous event, that one. Which team were disqualified from the 2011 Aussie Grand Prix for a technical infringement with their rear wing design? Uh, I don't know. Was it not that... Is it one of the new teams, maybe? It's one of those um, double... DRS things, wasn't it? In 2011? No. no. Oh, should we just guess? No. Caterham. Sauber. No. Well, that was obviously top news. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Power jeans. That would be way too early for all that stuff, wouldn't it? He set the fastest time in, in qualifying in Monaco in 2012, but didn't start on pole. Michael Schumacher. Wow. I did... I'm going to be Quizmaster next time. <laughs> you have no place on the panel. No, no, no. no. I, I like being Quizmaster. I'll stay here. Thanks. Um, which race was cancelled in 2011? Was it Bahrain? Yes. Oh, oh clean yeah, sweep. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. Wow, so much happened. All right, then. Let's, if it wasn't for your blunder. Let's hear the damage then, Sarah. Okay. So in third Sorry. place, the semi-pros with nine points. <laughs> Idiots. <laughs> Regulated to amateurs. <laughs> the Missed Apex podcast production team, Les Matt. Strong effort. 12. And then the Van Jeans with Woo! 18. So who was the weaker link at the Simply Race quiz then, Brad? Huh. You were quite happy to, to hang on to my coattails at the last one. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Thanks very much, guys. I always love a quiz. That's a lie. I hate them, but people seem to like listening to them. Thank you very much, Sarah. You are at Decoding Dragons on Twitter if people want to follow you. Uh, let's go down the panel. Uh, Alex Brundle, you are, can you be followed? By searching Alex Brundle, presumably? I can, politely, yes. Um, <laughs> Not outside you can, you can search me. I'm at Alex Brundle, which is difficult to, to work out. And I'm at Alex Brundle Racing on Instagram. Now, I, I promised you last time uh, you spoke to me in the shed that I was going to get much better at watching non-F1 stuff. Mm-hmm. That it was kind of a lie at the time. It was I, a lie, wasn't it? I had good intentions. Okay. However, your races are streamed from alexbrundle.com. No, they're not. They're streamed from the European Le Mans series. <laughs> but you can find which, it. Which by... is the series that okay. I race in. And that's where they're screaming from. I do. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so, so catch up with me racing there. And also just recently announced Nurburgring 24 and VLN with this bandit. <laughs> I'm, not so, at, I'm not at the N24. Are you not at the N24? No. Oh, this, is, this is awkward. Uh, <laughs> but Brad, you, you are racing in VLN. Yeah, when the weather when the weather plays ball, it was snowed off last weekend after one lap. But you got one lap in. I didn't get. I wasn't even driving at the time. Oh. I was in the pits watching. I, did, I drove lap. to Germany for one qualifying lap and then went home. Now you um, you don't just do your explainers with us. You do them also on your YouTube channel, which is like Brad Cool just, Mega Dude Seventeen or something. It's just Bradley Philpot now on YouTube. Just oh, search right. my name. You changed it. Peer pressure. Yeah. So I've made you change your YouTube channel, and I've made you change your Twitter handle. 
Yeah. I'm an influencer. There we go. That's it. You are at Chris on Racing. I, I am, yeah. I've got and a cap with it on as well now, which is nice. Oh, there we go. Caps, caps available from That's the lobby available. out the boot of my car. Uh. <laughs> In our garage. Uh, but you also cover Formula E on E Radio Show. Yeah, absolutely. We had uh, the Rome Pre last weekend, which I was at. Um, so uh, me and Matt did the E Radio Show talking about Mitch Evans and Jaguars. Uh, first win in nearly 30 years. Actually, Alex, didn't you drive the last race winner for Jaguar last, last weekend? Oh, yeah, the, the Group C car, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the one I'm not allowed to talk about because it's a Merch Sport magazine exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was on your Instagram. It was, yeah, it was, yeah. It was, it was good fun, but. I'm sorry. <laughs> for the record, we had a half hour phone call briefing last night in which that was included. So don't follow Chris anymore. Uh, you can follow Gene Z by, uh, on Twitter at Van Gene, Alex Van Gene. At Alex Van Gene. I'm, Alex you Van can Gene. just type Alex Van Gene anywhere because no one else has my name, which is great. But yeah, I've got YouTube, got Facebook, got Twitter. Come and say hello, and we're um, I compete in the Cov Cart series, which is going all around the country. Um, we're up in boring. Where's the, where's the yeah. We're at Sutton on the in May, some point next month, which will be good fun. Um, me, what position in the championship are you currently? I'm joint third, thirteenth. Huh? That's with drop. That's not without drop scores. Yeah. Okay. It's between me and the man sitting in front of me, Robin Kassam at the moment. So um, <laughs> seven points off the lead. That'd be good fun. Actually, uh, Kyle is not on any social media because he's too edgy and cool. So there's no point following. You will have to follow him at his house, which is 13 Elm Street <laughs> in Cambridge. Uh, but Kyle, you can be heard on BBC Radio Cambridgeshire as our resident driver expert. Um, and no one ever asked me about my YouTube channel. If you search okay. Richard Reddy on YouTube, there are two videos on there of me dismantling Lego. It's like a. He sent a, me that last night yeah. to try and help me sleep. Did it work? Um, no, I turned it off and listened to a sleep story. Turned it off and then fell asleep shortly afterwards. That's what I'm hearing. You can watch me slowly dismantling Lego by searching Richard Reddy on YouTube. You can follow the show by searching at Mr. Apex F1 and me personally by following at Spanners Ready. And until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Mr. Apex. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.